podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you're listening to the Neil Reynolds Podcast. That was the voice of Ryan Fitzpatrick. To hear more leading NFL stars, coaches, and media personalities telling us their life stories, tune into the Neil Reynolds Podcast with me, Neil Reynolds. Episodes drop every Thursday, and we already have a back catalogue that includes the likes of Bruce Arians, Doug Marone, Raheem Mostert, and the one and only Dan Hansis. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. The Neil Reynolds Podcast, dropping every Thursday. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. And I tell you what, we are getting close. We are getting very, very close to the start of the 2020 NFL season. Who'd have thunk it? Because let's face it, a couple of weeks back, it wasn't necessarily looking altogether optimistic. But it looks like the NFL, as they've been maintaining all along, are going to get the show on the road as planned. So that means we've got to get straight down to business and finish up our previews. Two shows coming your way this week. NFC preview time, starting with a look at the NFC South and the NFC East. Who else but I am Mike Carlson right alongside me to get you set. So let's get straight into it. Now, I am Mike. We've got to set out some parameters, first things first. When we did the AFC preview, we had Iron Mike's 13 things you need to know about the AFC. <laughs> so where are we going with the NFC? Well, I, I think I cut it down to either either six or ten, depending on how mm. you decided to link link the teams together. Yes, um, well, I'm so trying to work that out. Harry I, and I've been working that for weeks. Yeah, just... basically, I tried to keep it simple. You know that old kiss rule: kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Um, stupid. That one usually stupid, usually applies <laughs> yeah, to me. Okay. Uh, all right, good. Well, we'll we will get into it because there's a ton to do. As with the AFC, we're breaking this into two parts. You were listening to part one. Is it? probably evidence from the title of the show. We're going to do the <laughs> NFC South and the NFC East in this one, and then we're going to West and North for part two, getting you set for the season. Let's start with the South, Iron Mike, because there's so much to get into in uh, the South. Is this, in your mind, uh, a straight shootout between Tampa Bay and New Orleans? Yes, uh, I, I think that's a probably a pretty, pretty fair um, statement, and I'm not sure I would have thought it was a straight shootout you know, just a few weeks ago. Um, but the the Bucks have uh, have really taken steps to get better all, all the time. And oddly enough, the, the whole last week or so of transactions in the NFL have been mostly those that make sense. Um, you know, not always for the team giving up the player, but usually, um, but certainly for the acquisitions, they seem to me to be smart accusi- ac- acquisitions. And Leonard Fournette, to the Bucks is a really smart acquisition, especially when you think of him in the context of a Bruce Arians offense. And, you know, the one, the upside of this or the, or the top side or best case scenario is something like David Johnson before he got hurt, right. you know, his rookie season, a two way back, um, you know, who, who can be a danger from anywhere. And, you know, just as well as I do from all those Jacksonville Jaguar games that we did on television and radio, um, that the Jags never seemed to really get it with Fournette. They really wanted him to be a first two down power runner with the with the occasional bat. And he's not really a power runner in, in, in the sense that he doesn't hit the line and, and and he can carry a tackler, but he doesn't hit the hole and push it forward. He's not he's not a Derrick Henry, obviously, or something like that. He he needs a little bit of space. Um, he needs to find all, and I think in, in this offense he's going to get it because the passing threats are so great that there's going to be a lot of spread out. They're going to be playing against a lot of reduced boxes, and if Gronk's on the offensive line, um, he's got a really good tight end blocker there. I mean, all Quen, Quen can block a bit. Howard can block a bit. Brake can block a bit. But Gronk, you know, if he's back to his form two years ago with the Pats, is like having a third tackle. Up well, that is a $64,000 question. So let's go to Gronk then, because he's been out of the game a while. He's lost a lot of weight as well. I mean, that, that's not, not to be discounted. So look, realistically, we're not going to see textbook perfect Gronk. Gronk of yesteryear at the peak of his powers but what level Gronk are we, are we realistically likely to see bearing all that in mind Mike? yeah you know this is what makes everything so tough this year 
Um, it's why so few players, I think, were claimed off waivers. We don't know. We haven't sure. seen enough to be able to tell. They haven't had enough practices to be able to see themselves, you know, how this plays out. I haven't seen – I don't know what Gronk's exact weight is now, but he was probably 265 or so when he was, you know, finishing up with the Patriots. And like I said, you watched them in 2018, you know, in Gronk and – Trent Trent Brown on one side of the line was was just pushing everything in in their wake. Mm. If he's down to say you know two fifty two fifty five, he might have a little bit more trouble um, doing that kind of thing. But he may have picked up some speed and he, and rested and not injured the way he was his last couple of years in in you know always nursing nursing niggling injuries means that he's probably a seam stretcher back to the way he was when when he was young. You know That's because. He doesn't have to be the fastest guy in the world. He he can use his size and his reach and his strength um, to make up for the lack of speed. But if he's got that extra step back, that's going to help them a lot. What kind of passing offense are we likely to see? Because all the talk is, well, Arians likes to air it out. The deep threats they've obviously got. That, everyone's telling us, isn't Tom Brady's natural game, certainly not his game latterly. Is that because of situation and circumstance in New England more than anything else. Do you feel that Brady will actually fit very comfortably in this kind of offense? Or do you think Arians is going to change things up to accommodate Brady? There'll be, there'll probably be some slight accommodation, but remember, you know, Arians got a couple of quarterbacks murdered (laughs) in in his previous offenses. Um, Yeah. And Carson Palmer being the most notable, notable um, example. He likes long developing pass plays. And obviously Brady has played in an offense that relies on quick release and, 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 quick recognition. I think there's a middle ground in there. And part of the reason for that in new England was that they never valued going after those you know, pure multi-threat receivers. But when they had them, when they had Randy Moss, Brady threw deep a lot. When they had Brandon Cooks, he threw deep a bit that year. Um, it's not that he can't do it. He needs to be protected, though. Um, you know, he's a, like you know, like Peyton Manning. He's not a mobile quarterback, but he's very good at making the extra, the extra second or so for himself by just moving in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've seen in recent years, he doesn't like to wait a whole lot. He would rather take the sack, um, you know, than, than uh, take the easy sack than take the hard one. Uh, so that's going to be the interesting thing to watch. I know he was making a big thing about Scotty Miller last week who's a slot receiver basically. Mm. And um, I, I think, I think he'll find, he'll find um, ways to use those short receivers. I don't think he was pumping Scotty Miller up as much as he was just indicating his, um, his preference or his, you know, his desire to have a reliable short range receiver in, um, in his arsenal. In Not love- that, I, you know, um, an Adam Humphreys type, basically, mm. you know, what they had two years ago. There's a lot of talk as well. Uh, it seems to have dogged uh, or certainly been around Brady for, for all, all of his career motivation and the fact he's, he's still driven by the draft snub all these years later and he is the most motivated of all his contemporaries. And, uh, and of course, going into a, a brand new situation when he spent all his career elsewhere, the talk is, can Brady do it without Belichick? Can Belichick do it without Brady? And <laughs> where, 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 do you, where do you sit on this? Not so much because it's impossible to, to, to predict, as you say, wholly accurately but that do you think that is a, a narrative that is overblown when it comes to Brady and particularly this situation that that Brady's not going to realistically be thinking about can I prove I can perform outside of New England or do you think the diametric opposite that that is fueling his fire and will fuel his fire this season I think it I think it will fuel his fire I think he the best way to describe it is probably that he felt a certain amount of frustration last year in New England, um, that he couldn't get a passing attack that he felt comfortable with, um, which was predominantly down to receivers, um, you know, and, and in the Belichick system, receivers have never really been a priority. And, you know, uh, and Keel Harry was his first, first round pick receiver. Right. And, and like many of his high draft pick receivers disappointed at least, you know, so far, injury, not picking up the system, not, you know. Um, so I think he wanted to function in a more Brady-friendly offense, and you couldn't get a more 
pass friendly, Brady friendly, you know, group of people than, than he's got in Tampa. The long-term question probably doesn't bother him as much as the short-term question. He wants to prove he's not done. He wants to, you know, um, now if he, if people start to say, well, Brady made the Patriots and Belichick didn't because this year, um, is not going to be a good one for New England, I don't mm. think. Um, you have to give that time. You know, Bill hasn't had to start from scratch <laughs> since right. since two thousand you know one basically. Um, and I do get the sense, watching what's happened in the last week or two weeks or so, you know, that Bill is is in that kind of I'm going to do it my way thing. I'm trusting my judgments. Uh, they weren't. They haven't done anything in terms of of a waiver wire or, you know, or sign, uh, signing free agents in, in, in this late period, not even for a kicker. They've got two kickers on their practice squad and none on their roster. And Goskowski's landed in, in Tennessee. In, in Tennessee. Yeah. Back in, in you, Patriots old, you know, old boys. What do you um, make of, um, of the, you're right. They haven't acquired anybody, but some of the cuts they've made, that were, they were quite interesting. Mo Sanu was a, a Sanu didn't surprise me. Oh, didn't really. surprise you. No. Cause and only didn't I, live up to the billing last year. Oh, but, certainly not. But, you know, you could blame that. Slim pickings, I mean, though. Yeah, the receiver absolutely. core, the weapons they've got. I mean, it doesn't, it's not exactly an embarrassment of riches they've got there. So. No, and, and, you know, Edelman last year led the league in drops, although he also was right at the top in targets as well. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, Harry might prove to be what he, they thought he was when they drafted him. They mm. really need him to be. But otherwise, it's a very unimpressive, unimpressive group. Um, and... I'm a little surprised. There was nothing out there on the wire, to be honest, because with teams keeping 16-man practice squads, um, you know, there was there was very little uh, talent available in that wide receiver. Um, there was none to speak of at tight end either. Mm. Um, and uh, so I, I think he's going to live or die on his, um, you know, on his own judgment. And it'll be interesting to see if they consider this a rebuilding year. And remember too, he's had a lot of opt-outs that are going to hurt that team um, defensively in more than offensively, but Marcus Cannon's the huge loss. My man, Jermaine Illuminor is right now the starter at right tackle. And we're getting away from, from the box. But you made a good point on Illuminor on Twitter, actually. He doesn't get the the, the props and celebrated as much as some of his uh, uh, fellow Brits playing in the NFL. Right. Let's get back to the South. So, the other thing I like about the Bucks is Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, and they've got some real talent on defense. Now, I don't know how Sue's going to play, but Vita Villa is one of the better, you know, under the radar players in the NFL. Um, they've got a great pair of linebackers. And if you recall, when they were at Arizona, Bowles' defenses gave those teams in the West fits. You know, they played really well against Seattle. Um, even though they didn't have much offense most of that time. And so, you know, I, I think they're a balanced team now and, and, and a pretty strong one. And when you consider that they lost, oh, I don't know, you could say three games, certainly on turnovers, sure. you know, games where they were in a position to win, but then a, a Jameis turnover changed the game, you know, and, and I'm not using that as a criticism of Jameis because they also were in those positions because he threw 30 touchdown passes. But what they're going to get with Brady is probably the potential of 30 touchdown passes and a 75% drop in turnovers mm. well he threw 24 last year for the patriots and yeah. you know an abject uh, relatively speaking offense for them right Jameis has landed of course in new orleans and that's where we'll go next to the saints backing up interesting deal and we talked about it on the show of course back in the day when it was done a one-year deal big pay cut but a smart play i Mike, because realistically this is drew Brees's last season isn't it <laughs> probably you know the thing with breeze is the saints keep putting out good teams i keep picking them to win the nfc they keep falling over it at the last it's your fault is what we're saying. second to last hurdle and breeze comes back for one more year you know, because, <laughs> because they are such a good team they, you know they are solid on both sides of the ball um i think they've you know, they've got better as well this year. Um, Are they the most balanced, Ross? You used the word balance for for Tampa Bay, which was spot on. Are they the most balanced? Or maybe let me rephrase that. Are they the most, uh, are they the deepest squad in terms of talent on both sides of the ball in in the NFC, do you think? Mm, That's probably, that's probably true. Um, I think they, they probably got more talent than San, than San Francisco does. Um, 
they're more solid, I think, offensively than, than Seattle is. Seattle's always sort of a question mark off, offensively, although they're going to be better this year defensively. So, yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think that Jameis is in a good position um, as a backup there, you know, because Breeze is, can get injured. Um, if I were Sean Payton, I would rest him in a couple of games where they're running away with games. Um, they could give Taysom Hill some snaps as well. But but they are deep, you know, virtually everywhere um, on offense and on defense. They're, they've been a bit injury prone, especially on the offensive line um, in the past few years. But, you know, the things I like, they got better in the offseason, um, which always impresses me. You know, Mal- getting Malcolm Jenkins back, he's one of the best football players in, in the NFL. I mean, smart, tough knows exactly what he needs to do and, and can do it. Um, Emmanuel Sanders is a great addition because they really needed, they really need a steady presence who can, who can be a deep threat, but also make catches the kind of catches they like of passes they like to throw, which are, are not necessarily so deep. So he, he's good with, um, with Michael Thomas as, as a uh, complimentary piece to that. Um, you know, they drafted, for the one need they had at guard. Um, so we know, don't know if Cesar Ruiz is going to succeed or not, but um, where's the weak link the Mike, in the saints? Where's the, where are the areas or what is the area that probably, probably, yeah, they're, they're definitely a playoff team. Uh, the weak, the weak link might be that dependence on Michael Thomas, which Emmanuel Sanders, I hope for their sake helps to address. Um, it might be their linebacking, um, Demario Davis had a fantastic year last year. Um, can he repeat that? Uh, you know, Anzalone has been unable to stay healthy at, at linebacker, so uh, they really need to, you know, to worry about that a bit. But I think pass rush. There's not really a, there's not really much of a problem uh, with Cameron Jordan. You know, Marcus Davenport is probably ready to step forward. Um, after you know, after his, in his third year, um, I, I, there aren't many weak spots. You know, Mar- Marshawn Lattimore is one of the best corners in the league. Uh, Jenkins strengthens them a lot. You know, uh, maybe the other Jenkins, Janoris. Um, you know, you can attack him maybe if you have to attack somebody in that secondary. But you know, I just I just see a team that's deep and talented, and I picked them um, probably as the winners of the. Um, NFC, the favorites, although I might well change that pick right now. Um, and, and it wouldn't necessarily be to Tampa. Okay, well, it's intriguing. Well, we're going to discover who that is, at least. Well, it could be in part two, of course. Of our yeah, Harrison absolutely. Um, interesting, though. So they, uh, as we established, the best in show in this division. Uh, and continuity, fundamental at the best of times, but particularly going into this season, Mike, given the fractious and, and disjointed off-season that we've had. Yeah, and, you know, when, when you haven't been able to practice very much, um, you want it's nice to, for example, have four-fifths of, a, of what was probably the best offensive line when everybody was healthy in the league. Um, Armstead is the big question mark in terms of health. But when he's healthy, he's one of the best left tackles in the league. So they're solid right across the front. McCoy moved right in as a rookie last year. So, you know, odds are that Ruiz is going to be able to move in as a rookie um, this year. And if they stay healthy – you can work behind that, they, you know, and everybody else is there as well. You know, Cook had a great year. He probably has the potential to have another one. Um, my man, Deontay Harris from Assumption College in Worcester, Mass, um, can only get better, as they say, you know, <laughs> as a kick returner and, and long threat. So I, I just... That, I mentioned continuity, obviously, in this context, because it seemed quite evenly matched in, ter- in terms of contenders for, for the South, but Tampa Bay, as we've evidenced, have had a significant amount of, of change. Uh, it might be the most accomplished quarterback the game's ever seen, but nevertheless, you can't discount that. So is that what you think is going to give the Saints the edge in this division? Is that equilibrium? Probably. But, you know, I, I, to me, the, the, question, the question when those two teams play, the, the biggest question is going to be how Bruce Arians attacks that defense. 
and can his offensive line give Brady time to attack it? Um, that's the O line is the big question mark, I think, for for the Bucks. Um, and back back seven is probably the question mark for the Saints. Um, you could say pass rush because they need Davenport to be, you know, a stone pass rusher and. When you think about the way teams pass rush, they're a team that depends on their outside rushers to win the one-on-one battles, as opposed to to scheming to scheming sacks. Um, four four three teams tend to be more the former, and three four teams are more the latter. Just as a, a real generalization. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's just that's going to be just a fascinating matchup, you know. And and if Shaq Barrett, for example, plays as well for Tampa last year as he did this year, sorry, this year as he did last year, um, you know, it it could be one that forces Breeze to make mistakes. And you know, more than most quarterbacks, Breeze is is a guy who, if you can knock him out of his rhythm, you can slow them down. Mm. Um, but it's very hard to do that because Peyton and Breeze together are so good at the quick the quick stuff that, you know, n- negates your, your pass rush. And in Michael Thomas, they have a receiver who can, you know, and Sanders is kind of like that as well. You can get him the ball with a two-step drop or a three-step drop and, and it can become a big play. Speed all round. Uh, okay. Those two, the front runners in the South, uh, clearly a Carolina, a team in development, Atlanta somewhere in between. I mean, this has been since that Super Bowl capitulation, Mike back to back seven and nine, seasons an aging roster as well and so many things about this team hard to work out going into this year Dan Quinn as a head coach is on the hot seat Quinn as a head coach was meant to bring this defensive prowess to the team and yet that hasn't really worked out I mean they had to hand over the the play calling duties last season which saw a, a significant uplift in, in how they were, were performing defensively. So, so help me work out the Falcons because they seem, they seem maybe a lot for another seven or nine season based on what I can work out. Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, the Falcons always each year seem to be making changes, that, but always just treading water. Mm. Um, and and not necessarily getting any better. Uh, now, they played better the second half of last year after Raheem Morris moved from offense to defense and started, you know, first, first basically working with the secondary and then calling the defenses. And I think Dan Quinn and his influence is, this is a real simplification, but trying to stick with the Seattle system, Mm -hmm. even if he didn't have the personnel to really make it work and where he didn't have the personnel has been at cornerback basically, because it requires a very, a very special kind of corner to play the Seattle defense because they have to be able to run somebody down the sidelines um, and cover them uh, as well as do everything else. And, and, and they need long corners who can, who can run. And I don't think they've ever really had those guys particularly. Um, They're much better when Keanu Neal's healthy in that strong safety role, but, um, and I think this year Kazee, who was a corner in college, but, but they played him at strong safety when Neil got hurt. And now I think he and Neil are going to be the, the pairing of safeties. He, he may have moved ahead of Ricardo Allen in that secondary. So that's, that's interesting for them. That, you know, Deion Jones is great. They, they need an, another active linebacker. And they have Alakun, the guy from Yale, who was a defensive back at Yale. And now he's playing one linebacker and Deion Buchanan. Um, from the Cardinals is playing the other. So these guys are both undersized, but really quick linebackers. Um, and you can see where they're going. They need a rusher. And um, well, the broad Dante Fowler in, of course. Yeah. Uh, and that, but Fowler for Vic, Vic Beasley is treading what is almost the definition of treading water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to be honest, neither guy, they're both to me kind of one track, one trick ponies. Um and um, you can attack them in, in, in other ways. So, you know, that to me is, is their big question, uh, is defensively. Offensively, Todd Gurley, you is know, he done? is he you done? I, I, last year I would have said, well, he's on that track, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing him in as your, as your prime running back is, um, is a gamble. 
And, uh, you know, if you get the Todd Gurley of three years ago, you've won that gamble. If you, if you don't, um, you're, you're in a whole, you're in a whole lot of trouble, basically. Um, like how much Gurley, because people talk about the injury and it'll never be the same and it's the injury and he's lost that yard and lost that cut. But how much of it was the Rams collectively, certainly the offensive line last season, how much of it was Gurley, do you think? I think most of it was Gurley in that the Rams line was never an overpowering one anyway. And it was, it was sort of dependent on Gurley's ability to find, to find the openings, um, a lot of, a lot of zone blocking. And um, I think that I'm not sure that the Falcons are going to be able to match that. Uh, You know, they, they should be solid offensively. They, you know, last year they had two first round draft picks. Um, Lindstrom, when he was healthy, played really well. Uh, the other guy was in a little bit over his head, um, Caleb um, McGorry. Um, and, uh, but but he'll, he should be better, you know. Um, and Mac is good. Matthews is good. And they drafted the guy from Temple, Hennessy, who I thought was a great draft pick. Um, and he'll probably wind up starting. So the line should be okay. They've got two really good receivers, but that's it. Um, you know, and Julio and, um, and Calvin Ridley. And so I think their weapons are limited. That makes them kind of easy to stop. And, and you can stack, you know, if you can, if you're confident, you can cover Julio, you can pretty much stack them up. Um, Hayden Hurst will be a, you know, they picked him up, but that's, that's treading water. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think they're too easy to defense is the problem. Matt Mm. Ryan's a good quarterback. Um, You know, they have, they have good weapons, but uh, I, I just, I think they're a 500 team, you know, seven and nine is probably a, a fair estimation in a division with two of the, two of the four best teams in the conference. Carolina, uh, what then if Atlanta are seven and nine team? Oh, they're rebuilding. I mean, they're, you know, that they're in a project year. Um, although they're one of my favorite teams now, they're going to be to watch because I'm really curious as to what Matt Rule does. Um, and and it's funny watching how they've approached it because obviously they went out and they signed Teddy Bridgewater um, from the Saints. He went five and zero with the Saints last year, so you know um, we know he can he can win in the NFL. Um, we knew that when he played in Minnesota, um, and all of their draft picks were on defense. It's the first time, I think, in NFL history that a team's entire draft was on one side of the ball, Mm. Um, which indicates to me that, you know, they really want to redo that whole defense and that rule thinks offensively they've got enough to be able to, there was enough left over to be able to work with. And that, to me, says that rule's going to do a lot with McCaffrey and probably with Curtis Samuel, who they've never really utilized the way they said they would or thought they would when they drafted him right after McCaffrey, uh, in terms of say run pass options, things like that. Um, you know, they did pick up Robbie Anderson um, from the Jets, which will help. They they need offensive line help. That's going to be their biggest problem but that actually is rules one of rules specialties rules an interesting guy because he's coached on both sides of the ball mm. he was a line coach when he was in um with the giants for a year well assistant line coach i think but you know he he started as he started as a defensive coach um then moved to offense and went back and forth and then did the head coaching um at temple and baylor and so he's used to coaching teams that are over outmanned you know, that's the definition of coaching at Temple or at Baylor is that you're playing an entire schedule mostly with teams that have far more talent than you do by definition. So it's um, a good fit in that respect. Yeah. Joe so Brady, tell us about him, Mike. Joe Brady, the 30-year-old offensive coordinator he's brought with him. Yeah. And Brady, you know, this is the other thing that interested me um, because both of his coordinators – uh, Snow is not a young guy, but he, he comes out of college. But he also coached in the NFL with Detroit defensively. And um, Brady coached with the Saints for two years. So it was a good learning experience for him. And then he just moved up the road to Baton Rouge and mm-hmm. one year at LSU, and they won the national championship. So he's a, he's a sort of hot commodity. And I think he'll be able to work with what he's got, you know. And, and if Bridgewater were to get hurt or something like that, it – you know, they know Will Greer because they played against him in college. He was at West Virginia. And they know P.J. Walker because he played for them at Temple and um, 
and uh, he played really well in the XFL. in in this yeah yeah yeah, earlier this year so you know i i think they'll be able to do some things offensively and it will be fascinating to see what they do and then i think too that they'll be looking at the next year's draft Mm -hmm. as the way of filling in those pieces on offense where they'll probably have a lot of needs and depending on how well bridgewater plays obviously this next year's draft could be a good one for quarterbacks um as as we know, because you know we know at least the top two guys are are both going to come out, um, and uh, so so really, to me the question is, can their defense keep them in enough games? Um, and you know, and and they got they they have Kawan Short, who's a real talent, and they drafted Derek Brown and they signed Weatherly from Minnesota, so they they should be solid up front and the rest of it, they really do need some draft picks um, to come through for them in order to have a, you know, a really, um, a really good off uh, defense. But, you know, they signed Eli Apple. They've got Trey Boston kind of veteran guys who might get them through a year or so um, while these young players develop. And uh, I, I just think this is kind of like, you know, if you, if you like, fantasy GM, if you, you know, this is kind of one of those situations where, you just love seeing a guy come in and take over and see what he's going to do. Right. Especially when you think he, it's not Brian Kelly taking over, you know, um, the Eagles. I think it's a guy who, who, who knows what the NFL is about. And then he's going to try to bring his college smarts to the NFL. Um, and I'm, I'm just really curious to see how, well, I think they'll surprise a couple of people this year, you know, pick up a couple of wins where they, where you wouldn't have thought they would, but, but they're definitely a year away, I think from, um, from making any real, any real impact. Okay. South then it looks uh, as we suspected, uh, uh, instead of the top, a shootout between Tampa Bay and New Orleans, Atlanta, flattering to deceive again, Carolina in transition. The NFC East is where we're going to go next and not dissimilar, Mike. There are two teams with a realistic shot of winning it, two teams much less. So let's start with the clear bona fide favorites, the Dallas Cowboys who have been splashing the cash once again. <laughs> uh, let's start with the draft actually. I want to go there first because given the fact that they've invested in Zeke in Amari, kind of in Dak, although that's something I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about as well. But they, uh, Jerry's dug deep into his pockets, uh, and the, their time is now. McCarthy coming in is a clear upgrade in terms of head coaching. But then first round of the draft, where they've got issues uh, defensively, they take C.D. Lamb. Did, did that pick surprise you? Um. It, it, it yeah, it's it, it surprised me, and and it was kind of like my first reaction, my gut reaction was, you know, here's Jerry Jones spending on a shiny hood ornament, um, mm. which is what we call wide receivers, basically. But the more I thought about it, the more it did make a certain amount of sense. In that, C. D. Lamb kind of frees them to let Amari Cooper play inside or outside. Um, and I suspect he'll play a lot more inside. And now you've got Gallup, who had a really good year yeah. last year, and Cooper and C.D. Lamb, who's certainly a talent. Um, and, and that's going to create coverage problems for teams. They're going to have three receivers to choose from who, who you have to account for. Um, both, you know, their tight ends are not bad. Um, I think they got pretty solid work out of Jerwin last year, Jarwin especially. Um, and then you've got Zeke Elliott behind them. So I, I think that's, re- that's really good. Um, and if their, you know, if their, um, if their offensive line can play as well as it has for the past couple of years, which, which is, you know, kind of a question mark, um, then um, they should be able to be one of the better offensive teams in the league, really. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I think I saw Lael Collins is out at the moment now mm. um, on, uh, on IR or, or um, I, didn't, I didn't check why. But, um, you know, ho- hopefully that doesn't, that doesn't for them, their point of view, doesn't affect them too much. Smith's still really good. Martin's really good. Um, you know, uh, Frederick's gone, obviously, but, but Looney is, um, 
is it okay center it's a car they, crash apparently leo collins was involved. leo collins car crash yeah. <laughs> that's a new Boy, one how many guys yeah how many guys in the nfl could do you wish they could put on ir car crash i Would mean not, not in the sense that there's oh. a car yeah not in the sense <laughs> that there's a car but just this guy's a car crash can i put him on our our cc list you know um. i think they put you know, the same way they put like, ankle finger car surely would be the uh, the line on that as and remove the crash so offensively they're stacked we know that but defensive that's the issue right and byron smith moving on to, to the dolphins opens up questions in the secondary there so how's this cowboys we talked about balance very much so with the saints to an extent with the Bucks, how balanced are the Cowboys, Mike? Yeah, and that's the thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of question marks. One of those teams where on paper things could work. I mean, you know, Randy Randy Gregory could, <laughs> Randy Gregory could come back. Alden Smith is back. You know, this is like the old days of the White House in Dallas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the the. You know the the car crashes are are about are waiting to happen basically as pass rushers. <laughs> Everson Griffin obviously is is a talented pass rusher. Demarcus Lawrence is a talented pass rusher. The question is, can they hold up the the rest of the way? Um, what happened with Demarcus Lawrence last season? Is he except five sacks on the season? Was it just we all have off years, we all have off moments? Was there more to it than that? I, I think he was he was probably dissatisfied a bit i think the teams were keying on him which can make can make your life a lot a lot tougher especially when there's not really a great second secondary um an olivier vernon type guy who you know if you leave him single blocked he's going to get a few sacks um they don't really have anybody like that on the line um and because the secondary was was so bad quarterbacks often were able to get rid of the ball quickly against them um which means you're not going to get sacked obviously if your receivers are coming off um and you know um with with smith and van der esch at linebacker they should be pretty well stocked but there's very little behind them you know i I don't see any depth there um i'm not sure what they're what they're thinking about um you know whether they can whether they can play with uh two linebackers most of the time or whether you know they 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 look they're going to look around on the free agent market and for the secondary it's their usual thing you know they've got they've got some guys who aren't bad um they drafted um not stefan diggs trevon diggs um you know so it could be good it 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 might not be and i i think it's interesting because mike mccarthy's hired mike nolan Mm. um and Nolan's was a pretty good defensive coordinator, not necessarily the most aggressive kind, um, but they need to be an aggressive team, I think. And, you know, with, with Dontari Poe up there, I mean, I would consider, I would have considered like switching to a three, four defense. Um, Mike, just on that uh, point, why do they need to be an aggressive team? um, Because their strength is with pass rushing. So, so they really need to, kind of attack and um play to that strength play to that strength and and get you know make it make it tougher for teams to zero in on receivers at least until their secondary proves you know how good it is whether whether or not it's really good and um you know offense mike what kind of changes are we like to see with because kellen moore's in there as well so that's interesting but mccarthy's going to have his fingerprints all over it presumably so what kind of differences are we going to see from a jason that's a, that's a really good question because in my mind mccarthy based on his green bay years and you don't know how much this is aaron Rodgers or how much it was mike mccarthy because what we've seen with Rodgers and lafleur so far is that the offense seems to be far more an aaron Rodgers offense than a matt lafleur offense which would suggest the mike mccarthy offense was far more an aaron Rodgers offense and what that means is rogers um mccarthy's offense appeared to be sending wide receivers down to win one-on-one battles um sim- relatively simple routes aaron you're going to, you know, choose, find one of those guys uh, is going to get open and get him the ball. Kellen Moore comes out of a more structured system. Um, and you would think, given their three receivers, they would like, they would work to kind of scheme guys open to, to get double teams to over, overplay, overplay zones, uh, to be more precise in their offense and not kind of like wait for a guy to get open, but throw him open here. This is where he's going to be, Dak. 
go. Now, Dak can play, I think, either way um, because he's relatively mobile. He can keep plays uh, alive. But I'd like to see them try to use him as a more precise and play action kind of quarterback, which is easy to do when you've got Zeke Elliott as your running back. You have to account for Zeke Elliott. That means that if your linebackers step up a step or your safety step up a step, there ought to be room for you to find uh, Lamb or Cooper or Gallup or Jarwin Jar open. Uh, so I think I think the offensive possibilities are really great here, um, you know. And and if their offensive line's not as good as they as it has been in in the last couple of years, it would pay to use a more schemed and structured kind of offense. I've got to ask about Dak. The final thing on the Cowboys, and then we'll move on. <laughs> I got four <laughs> words for you. Tell me. Show him the money. <laughs> that's what he's going to be saying. To, what that's what he's going to be saying, saying to, now after the Jerry Jones. Yeah, if, if the Cowboys get, even I think to the NF, NFC Championship game, I don't think they have to win the Super Bowl. But if they get that far, mm. Dak's just going to be saying, show me the money to, yeah. to Jerry Jones. And Jerry's going to kind of kick himself for not, not extending his contract uh, last year when, when he probably could have done it at a... Before the Watson and Mahomes deals. I mean, but that's the point, isn't it? I mean, those two... Um, well, Mahomes clearly, Watson probably, uh, Lamar Jackson in, in the mix as well. When we're talking about the younger quarterbacks in the league that you're building a team around for the next five or, or ten years, Dak Prescott, in most people's eyes, Mike, seems to be that level below. He might get paid close to, to Watson. He might get paid close... Uh, you know, to, to those guys, but is he performing at that level? Or That's, do you see him as a level below? It's a really good question. Can, and well, you remember, cause we talked about it in <laughs> over and over again at America Carnage, because I had Prescott as the third best quarterback in that draft. And, right. you know, and I rated him pretty highly, but I think what we've seen since he came into the league is there's always an argument against either way. Is, is he a top-level talent? Well, he was surrounded by all these great players. It made his life easy. Is he not a top-rated talent? Well, you know, his offense dra- dragged to a halt, and he had to carry it himself. You yeah. saw him having to keep plays alive and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I think the jury is still going to be out on that. Um, and this year is, in all senses, a prove-it year for him. And the other question is, let's say he's not. Well, we know he's not Patrick Mahomes because there aren't too many Patrick Mahomes around. Um, you know, but let's say he's not even a, a Deshaun Watson. Um, who do you get who's going to be better? Right. He's at that level where there aren't many guys. I mean, even if you're not a Dak Prescott fan, you really can't have him out of the top 10, I'd say, mm-hmm. quarterbacks in the league. So are you going to be able to get someone who can come in and replace him? And at what I, I don't price? Great. Otherwise, yeah. why bother? Yeah. Yeah. And at what price does that guy come? And what we've seen is when teams take care of quarterbacks early, um, barring injury and, and actually so far touch wood there, you know, most of those guys uh, RG three being kind of the exception haven't been had there, uh, but that was before his, contract had to be extended, haven't, haven't had those big injuries. They're great value because the salary cap keeps going up and the quarterback price keeps going up every time a guy who is good comes on the free agent market. So your own guy in the long run is going to wind up being cheaper. And everybody's going to be studying that Mahomes contract because it's such a cleverly done contract in terms of potential outs you know, for your salary cap, if Mahomes all of a sudden becomes ineffective for one reason or another. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to get paid. Okay, Dallas, uh, looking promising then. And, and you say the NFC Championship, he'll get paid. And that's a, a realistic objective. I think, presumably, based on the money Jerry spent, that is, uh, that is a minimum requirement, you, you would suspect. Yeah. What about Philly? So Philly are uh, <laughs> uh, another enigmatic team, really, in the sense that uh, clearly there's a huge amount of potential there. There's a lot of injury last season, which affected what we ended up seeing and, and stifled that potential. Where do they sit in your reckoning this year, Mike? Oh, they're hard. They're hard to figure out, aren't they? Um, and you know, they, they let Jason Peters go. They re-signed Jason Peters telling him he's going to play guard. Now they want Jason Peters to play 
left tackle. And Jason Peters says, well, then pay me like a left tackle. You, <laughs> you signed me, you signed me as a guard. Um, you know, I, I think Philly has shown that they're both a pretty well coached team. Although I think, I think losing uh, Frank Reich was more important to them than anybody realized. Um, and, you know, they switched to offensive coordinators, but basically the offensive coordinating is still sort of the guys below Doug Peterson, and, and, and they miss having Reich there offensively. But Howie, you know, um, Howie Roseman is a really good general manager. They, they keep acquiring talent um, despite sometimes having – cap problems um they seem to have like a lot of teams the patriots are one of those kind of teams they seem to have kind of blind spots at the same position year in and year out um <laughs> which in their case is is secondary and wide receiver tend to be the tend to be the big ones um if alshon jeffrey who's hurt right now is back that makes a huge difference for them but jeffrey and deshaun jackson five years ago would be the best pair in the league sure but we're not playing five years ago. Well, they picked um, up Jaden Rieger, of course. There's a lot of buzz about him. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not sure, because I, I wouldn't be surprised if Hightower, the other rookie receiver, plays ahead, not ahead of him, because they, they don't really play the same positions, but, but Hightower's more, more likely to play inside, and, and Rieger's an outside guy. Rieger fits what they want to do but so did our sega white side mm. you know, so did um Al- um Aligor. um agalor agalor algalor i sound <laughs> like mike i sound like mike lombardi that al gore guy and um yeah what was he he was talking it, all, it was all going so mike, well for philly when yeah, al gore was playing for them until they al went gore to was, he, and he was a multi-threat too um yeah mike mike was talking about um oh doctors he was talking about the the hippo thing <laughs> and, and, and the guy the coach the 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 co-host was going the what the what they are the the hypocritical thing you know oh, the, the hypocritical I'm thinking those doctors and <laughs> yeah, their hippo thing. thing, you know. Um, Maybe it was a hippo doctor who was talking yeah, about. Yeah, but, you know, so so if everything breaks right for them, yes. I, I, th- I think I think it's a real battle between them and Dallas. But they're the team where much more could break wrong. Mm. Um, you know, Miles Sanders, they're going to depend on to cut. Carson Wentz is hurt again. You know, he, he seems to just have a, a brittleness about him that, yeah. that's going to make things. Um, the offensive line has t- some talent, um, but also needs now to fill in at a couple of positions where, you know, I'm not sure that that's going, that's going to work out. Uh, Ertz and Goddard, um, you know, are probably the best one-two tight mm. ends in the league, and they use them a lot. Yeah, I thought they. I see. Typical of them, they got they picked up Jason Huntley when Detroit waived him, and Detroit waived him when they picked up Adrian Peterson. Um, and Huntley is a small back who can catch the ball, which basically fits the pattern of Eagles running backs going back to the early days of Andy Reid. They really haven't changed all that much. Reid wanted, you know, he loved big offensive lines with little guys sneaking around behind those big offensive lines. Westbrook is the prime example, you know, and had a great career with them. And so, you know, I think, I think the receiving and the offensive line are real question marks for them. Um, Defensively, the secondary is always a question mark. They they cut. They the big surprises were were them cutting. Um, you know, top drafted defensive backs, and and they're going to go ahead. You know, they they got Darius Slay obviously, so that that's one spot done. But but Avanti Maddox is like the only one of their draft guys who's who's now going to to play. You know, Russell mm-hmm. Douglas um, is gone. Um, they're going to try Jalen Mills at safety now. Um, to, to replace Jenkins. Mm. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to work. Um, and that's really, to me, that's, that's a huge loss for them. But when you look up front, they're pretty good. You know, Javon Hargreave added to Fletcher Cox. That's monstrous. That's ominous. Know, yeah. Inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they love, you know, it's, it's Jim Schwartz. Schwartz so they, they've got Brandon Graham and they've got Vinnie Curry and they've got, Derek Barnett, all, you know, wide, wide nine kind of rushers. And um, they got Ridgeway is back. He's good. 
Malik Jackson is there. You know, he's good. Um, the more we talk through through them, Mike, I, mean, I take your point. It was well put that there is an upside, but you could conceivably go, see it going south as well. The more we talk it through, there is actually quite a lot of balance here and, and, and quite a... I had not considered the Eagles as a serious contender for the East, but the last 10 minutes of talking through, I'm actually looking at them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think they're serious contenders. I mean, but, the, you know, there are question marks. If, if the secondary works, if the secondary works, they're actually not that strong at linebacker either, unless one of the rookies um, steps up um, quickly. But they are potent up front defensively, uh, and that will be a battle. That's where the battle with them and Dallas will be won, is Dallas offensive line against their defensive line. And, and if Lane Johnson and um, Jason Peters are the two tackles again, even though they're both <laughs> old men by NFL standards, and, and Peters – at times doesn't look like he's able to walk just, just pass block. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you're talking about probably the most agile big tackle the league has seen in, in, in his career. Um, you know, I, I think, th- I don't think I wouldn't hand it to Dallas at all. I, I think the Eagles yeah. are probably a good outside bet. Mm, a sleeper pick, uh, some might say. Uh, incidentally, they're playing each other well, twice, of course, this season, but on the 27th of December, the penultimate week of the season at Dallas, at Jerry World. So that yeah, could I can well be the. I can the see the headline now. You know, who's going to be the Christmas turkey? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, it could be one of the other two teams we haven't talked about. Uh, a quick line or two on each, Iron Mike, and then we've got to get, get our dodge for this episode. But then, of course, we're back for part two, looking at the West and the North. So. Uh, the Washington football team and the New York Giants yeah. have the worst season out of the two. Last year? Um, no, who is going to have the worst season? Oh, this who's going to have the worst one this year? Um, I was going to say last year it had to be the Giants. Um, yeah. this, time, this time I think it'll, it'll probably be Washington. Um, although a lot of that, Joe Judge is a, is a real indeterminate factor um, mm. in this whole equation. We don't really know what he's going to do and Jason Garrett's his offensive coordinator. So in those two sentences, I've just talked myself out of the original <laughs> position. Um, you know, they, they don't have much in terms of offensive weapons beyond Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, he's brought in, he brought in Dion Lewis, but that may be sentimental from his days in, in new England. Um, he doesn't have a, a real game breaking kind of receiver. Uh, the one thing I did like about them is that they picked up um, three guys plus plus there was a trade. They picked up Isaac Yadam as in a trade, right? Um, and then they they picked up three guys off the waiver wire, each of whom improved the team at his position. Um, Radley, Ratley, the receiver from Cleveland. Um, Barton, the tackle um, from Dallas, and who was the third one? Um, the third one was the guy I liked the best, and I can't think of his name now. But the thing is, they're not difference makers in terms of a team. Oh, Colbert, the, who played in Miami last year, the safety. And Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, was in Miami last year. They're not guys who are going to make a huge difference in the team. It's not, it's not like when um, – when Detroit pick up Adrian Peterson or, or you know, or Miami um, or, or Tampa pick up um, Fournette, you say, boy, that makes a difference to that mm. team. Um, but they're improvements. So it means that they're looking to improve. They're kind of going to be like Miami, I think, last year. Um, so if Joe Judge turns out to be like Brian Flores, a leader as well as a good coach, um, a, a head coach as opposed to a schemer, a guy who can really, can really lead that team. They could surprise people, but I think the upside is probably a lot like Miami's last year. It's, okay. it's, it's, maybe, it's maybe six wins. Washington, who I would love to see called Washington Team Football because their initials would be WTF. <laughs> and and that, that yeah, to maybe. me, would, would, would encapsulate encapsulate the team not that you know and ron i thought when they hired ron rivera it's the perfect hire for a a team owned by dan snyder you know here's a guy who's going to keep keep the ship steady you know but it's always going to be a battle (laughs) 
Because <laughs> the chaos, Washington is the team of chaos. You know, it, it's, it's pure chaos. And, and is Ron Rivera like the, the, force of, the force of order in this thing? You, you kind of would hope so. Um, he's got a great potential defense. I mean, it's stacked with talent. Um, you know, almost all around, not perfectly. Um, cause the secondary, although there's a lot of talented guys there, you've got to get the, you've got to get the balance right. But he brought Thomas Davis back to play middle linebacker, which may be a stretch at Thomas Davis's age, but he's such a smart player and he knows what Ron Rivera wants right, to they go way back. He's got all those first round draft picks on the defensive line. You know, um, I made a list, Ryan Kerrigan, um, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, who we haven't heard a lot about, um, Chase Young this year, five number one picks, but the best guy on the defensive line is probably Matty Anides, um, who was a fifth, who was a fifth round pick, you know, but I think they, they will be a factor defensively. Is Dwayne Haskins what they want at quarterback? I think he's, no one's ta- sure, right? no he's one's talented sure. enough um, yeah, no one's sure. He's not the kind of guy you would associate necessarily with Ron Rivera. And when he brought Kyle Allen in from Carolina, it was, ooh, you know, plus Alex Smith is back and, and healthy. So now you have instant quarterback controversy, potentially. Um, the one thing I think that really shone out a, a last year with um, Washington team football um (laughs) actually two things one was brandon scherf on the offensive line but one guard does not an offensive line make Um, and the other was haskins throwing to terry mclaurin uh college teammates and mclaurin really did look good so i i think i think this team could probably make some difference defensively but i think they're really going to be challenged um offensively i'm not sure that scott turner who he brought with him more or less from Carolina after he uh, got fired, is, is going to be the answer there. Um, you know, we saw them last year and they didn't look great offensively with, um, with Kyle Allen at, at quarterback when they came, to, when they came to London, you could see kind of the holes in that. And to be honest, cutting AP didn't make that much sense to me unless Either Bryce Love is really healthy and really good the way he was in college um, before he did his knee, or Antonio Gibson looks really good to them. Because I wouldn't want to go into the season with Peyton Barber as my go-to guy, as right. opposed to Adrian Peterson. Um, yeah, that was that was strange. But again, it's, I, I guess, as you're alluding to, maybe they know something we don't. Just a quick one on, on Haskins. Didn't look, well, far from the finished article, but then so few rookie quarterbacks are, right? But... The upside, he seemed to improve as the season went on. Is that fair? That's absolutely fair. Um, and I think that, you know, that was, you, you had it in a nutshell there. He, he had high expectations, probably beyond what they should have been uh, for a rookie. And he was almost playing, in a way, out of system at Ohio State. You know, he, he wasn't the kind of guy you would, the kind of mobile option kind of quarterback you might expect. He's really, he's really a big, strong drop back guy, a lot closer to Jameis Winston, say, and not probably even as mobile as Jameis Winston is um, than, than anyone else. But, but he's got an arm. Um, and as you said, by the end of the season, he didn't look, he looked like he was pretty much in place. And, you know, I, I thought when they played New York late in the year, there wasn't that much between him and, and Jones, you know, even though, you know, Jones was considered more or less a success. Although he, it's funny because Daniel Jones seemed to, I wouldn't say get worse, but, but yeah. sort of teams caught up to him Agreed. as, as the season went on. And, and Haskins, I think did him, his, his line was more up as the seasons went. So, you know, I guess I, I guess I agree with you that, or I, you didn't say which, but I guess I, I think Washington's probably a little bit ahead of New York right now um, and probably will finish with a better record. But, but, you know, I won't, don't think there's going to be that much in it. It's a two horse race. It's, it's a, a, it's a two division division. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Mike, on the Jones Haskins comparison, the, the suggestion is, well, Haskins ended the season stronger. It's better that way around. And if you appropriate that to our show, I kind of feel we've done that as well. I felt that we got stronger as the show went <laughs> well, on. Part, part two, part two then is going to really have to be the, um, an improvement. It's funny about that because, you know, it, it is one of the old um, 
the old adages sort of a football or of a lot of things, but it applies differently to players or teams. Um, and you also have to look at the situations because often there are players who in all, in a lot of sports who will play better when the pressure's off Sure. <laughs> when, when it becomes, and I'm not saying this about Haskins because football is a little bit different in that sense. It's, it's hard to play for stats in football mm. um, because you need so much more. Uh, but with teams, when, when they say, well, you know, they went, they went six and two the second half. And, you know, and so the coach gets to keep his job, even though he went one and, you know, one and seven or two and six the, the first part of the year. Whereas if you do it the other way around, if you went seven and one the first half of the year and then went one and seven, you'd get fired. You know, both, <laughs> both guys come out eight and eight. <laughs> but, right. but, you know, there's that kind of thing. And, and sometimes you can look and say, well, they played an easy schedule. You know, the Giants did. Their schedule got a whole lot easier. You know, the Patriots' schedule last year got a whole lot tougher in the second half of the year. And they, you know, instead of going 8-0, they, they went 4-4. Um, four and four. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting the, – the, the, the season of two halves is an interesting uh, conundrum. Well, there's a preview of two halves, of course, so we better wake Harry, the producer, up and get on with part two. Okay, yeah. Lovely stuff from Iron Mike. We will be back with the second part of our double header. I am really looking forward to finding out what Harry, the producer, is deciding to call this one. Uh, but that is back. The West and the North, of course, yet to be discussed. So we're going to get into that and it will drop later on this week. Getting you set for the big kickoff. And incidentally, talking about getting you set, make sure if you haven't already, you're following us on social media because we've got a lot of plans, gang, for the season. Lots of bonus content, lots of extra stuff that is going to be going out on our social media channels. So follow us at the NC Show, at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or all of the above. Uh, and uh, you won't miss a trick, right? We'll see you for the West and the South. Drop it soon. Podcast Network.